thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who works in us and among us to display for us on the pages of the Bible the beauties and excellencies of Jesus. And we need to see him because we're so often faced with things that are discouraging and things that cause us to, to doubt and to lose hope. But we see in your word the hope that we have of his eternal and absolute and sovereign reign over the affairs of men. And so we thank you for that reminder this morning. We pray that you would, that you would set a fire in our hearts to love Jesus more and to serve him faithfully because our outcome the promised outcome from Him is secure. We thank You for all these things. In Christ's name, amen. We are, uh, we are in Acts, Acts 23. Hello, hello. There's pumpkin bread up there. There is pumpkin bread. It's quite, uh, it's quite festive. Are we in ASB in here? Um, what's that? Are we in the ASB in here? Or are we in oh, e e I, I do the eminently superior version. It's... I like that better than the nearly inspired yeah, version or the almost secure version. You know what? So I just, do you haven't? Okay. The, the HCSB is the hardcore Southern Baptist Bible. So just to let you know. No, I, I like the ESV. Others like the NASB. And that's fine. That's fine. I, I'm, both are good translations. They, I like the Tyndale language of the ESV. It just, it, it comforts me because it's similar to what I memorized in the, King James when I was a wee lad of many moons ago. All right, so we're in Acts 23. Um, last time, we ended with Paul's visit from Jesus, which is always a good place to end, and the encouragement that he had from Christ about the commendation that we saw of his witness in Jerusalem and also the promise that he was going to be witnessing to the facts of Jesus in Rome. And the rest of chapter 23 charts the steps to getting there. And so one of the things that I'm just going to lay my cards on the table here, one of the things that really struck me about this next section is the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. Christ gives him the end goal, which is Rome, right? He's in Jerusalem in chains. How's he going to get there? Not to worry. Christ sits on the throne. He reigns over the hearts of men. And you're going to see that here. He reigns over them in such a way that they, they even in their sin, do what He wants them to do. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing truth that we have, the providence of God. So let's look through and see uh, what, we, what we have here. Uh, verse 12, chapter 23. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly." And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, 
Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things." So we see that the, and we'll stop right there for now, so that you see that the encouragement from Jesus was somewhat timely. The next day, this plot is hatched. Um, and we're right back with Paul, the focus of yet another threat. Let's walk through the threat. What, what is it? What's the threat? Ambush and kill him. Ambush and kill him. Who's, who's doing this? The Jews, specifically some, some translations, the NIV, will say some of the Jews, which is true. It's not all of them. It's, it's 40 of them or, or 40 plus. There is no real significance in 40 here, just so we're not reading too much numerology into this thing. Uh, it's, it's a lot of guys. What does that tell you about the plot? 40 people bent on killing you, waiting to ambush you. Is that a serious threat? Yeah, it's a serious threat. Uh, so you've got guys... What's that? They took, a vow. they took a vow. What kind of vow? What is this? What is up with this? It seems like the weaker that you comply with this, I mean, the, the longer you comply with this vow, the weaker you get to, to fulfill it, right? So, I'm really hungry. You know, how are you going to do this? But anyway, so they take this vow not to eat or drink until Paul is dead. That's pretty determined. So, what's the consequences of breaking this vow? <laughs> Very good question. We'll get that in a second. We're going to starve you. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so you got a strong plot. The Greek word that's used here to describe their oath is pretty, is pretty strong. It comes from the root word anathema. You ever heard of that? Anathema. Cursed. May I be cursed. May I be eternally damned if this thing does not happen. It's a pretty strong oath, I would think, right? Um, who else do they get involved in this? Is it just a bunch of rogue guys on the street? Chief priests and the, and the, and the elders. So we have the descriptions of two, the two parties that are in the Sanhedrin, the leaders. The, the, the chief priests and the elders would be the Sadducees, right? That we learned about last time. And the, when they refer to the scribes, they usually refer to the Pharisees. So they go to the party, if you remember the previous chapter, the previous section, they go to the party that already is anti-Paul. They know who the, who the villains are here, right? They go directly to the Sadducees, and they do what? What's, what's the plan here? What's the plan? To have the chief priests and elders request that Paul be transferred to them so they can evaluate it further. Is that true? No. <clears throat> so you have the men who are supposed to be the, the mediaries between God and the people, involved in a plot to kill a guy 
which is murder, right? And to do so by means of lying. Mm -hmm. Are they willing to do it? Nothing to the contrary. What stops it? Jesus. Always a good answer in Sunday school? A loving nephew. A loving nephew. He must have gotten good Christmas presents from Paul that year. A loving nephew. This is really the first nice canvas. This is really the first time that we hear or see references to Paul's extended family, his sister and nephew, and it's the only time we see it. And so this young man, probably in his teens, uh, by the, the language that's being used, uh, goes and tells the uh, goes and tells Paul. Um, we don't get from Luke that these conspirators die from hunger or thirst. Obviously, their plot fails. We'll see that later. Uh, but Jewish law did provide for the release of a vow that was unfulfillable because of an unforeseen circumstance. And we'll see, uh, we'll see that there's an unforeseen circumstance. What, uh, but it's interesting how this unfolds. Um, what does Luke tell us about how the thing unravels? It's, it's the, the nephew goes. How is he received? What is, the, what is this whole scene? Let's just do the big picture. What does this whole scene tell you about Paul's standing in the prison? Pretty good. He's quite powerful for a prisoner. I'm saying... The guy, he gets visitors, and that was if, if, that just displays the ranking, the social ranking that he has as a Roman citizen. If you're a Roman citizen, you have these kind of privileges. It was very common for them to be able to receive family and friends in prison. That's not unusual. And it really helps to get us the other 13 books from Paul in the New Testament because they're going back and forth a lot of the time. Um, what the, the, the boy comes in, the young man comes in, tells Paul about this plot, what does Paul do? Does he start rattling his cup on the... What does he do? Send the boy to... Who does he tell to do this? Hey, does he tell the centurion about, hey, he's got, this, he's got a beat on a plot here? Does he tell him any of that, the centurion? Can you run an errand for me? Take my nephew to see the tribune, your boss. Tell him he's got something you want to tell him. Doesn't doesn't say, hey, you got to know about this plot. You got to none of that. Run this for me. Does the centurion bat an eye here? He just does it. That really indicates to us the the incredible standing that Paul has throughout the rest of Acts among his Roman captors. He's a Roman citizen. They found him trustworthy. He's not been charged with anything. We'll see later that they can't find any charges against him. And yet he's still in captivity. But this guy just hops to it. Yes, sir, Mr. Paul. And he, go, he takes, the, takes the nephew up to the tribune. And what does the tribune say? Why is this prisoner bothering me? Who does he think he is to send my centurion on an errand? What does he do? He takes the nephew by the hand takes him by the hand and speaks with him privately. What does that tell you about the Tribune's understanding of Paul? The Tribune respects Paul too. Absolutely. Massive respect. Roman citizen has rights. But more than that, who's been the, who's been the, the, the crazy factor in all of this? It hasn't been Paul. The crazy factor has been these Jews are against him. So you have this Tribune taking the guy by the hand 
and, 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 and bringing him in private. Um, and what does he, what does he do? The, this, this, this boy, obviously Lysias senses that it's important, so he, he, he takes him by the hand and takes him in private. What, what, does, what does he do? He basically repeats what we've learned, right? And Luke recounts this. He doesn't just say, he told him about the plot. He repeats all the, all the dynamics of it, right? And in doing so, he heightens the urgency of this. It's a rhetorical device that Luke is using here. You know, the, the, the re repetition of things in Jewish thought heightens the importance of it. And so we see that here with Luke. He repeats it twice. And then what does Lysias do? What does he tell this young man regarding this information? What does he say to him? Why would he do, he's playing it close to the vest, right? Why is he doing that? Why would he do that? Why would he say, keep it secret, keep it safe? Why would he do that? Right? Who all is involved in this? Maybe more than the 40 this kid knows. And if I'm going to act, I need to not tip him off what the action is going to be. Right? So he plays it close to the vest. His primary job as a tribune was to keep peace and order in his jurisdiction. This is plot is not just jeopardizing Paul's life. It's jeopardizing the mandate that he has to keep peace and order in the region. All right. Pause and take note of this. The power of Christ to confound a vast left-wing conspiracy against Paul. I mean, what's the goal here? Yes, you heard it. Yeah, what, what is the goal here? The goal is, you will testify of me in Rome. Right? How is he moving the ball? The next day, how does he move the ball? He he made it unsafe for Paul to stay there. Now, if I'm sitting in a cell, I'm thinking, how is this helping me? People are, a lot of people are wanting to kill me. How is this helping me achieve the goal? But do you see the, the massive sovereignty of God in orchestrating? I mean, the hearts of the people wanted to kill Paul, right? So let's move our night into play. Yeah? The, the, uh, the heart of the tribune is to maintain peace and order. So let's move our pawn into play. All of this is going on. People are making choices that they want to make. They're doing what they most love to do at the moment. And yet, it's being orchestrated to get Paul where God wants him to be to testify of Jesus in Rome. Um, all these moving parts... Advance the goal. Uh, a similar plot to this is what killed Ananias, the high priest, right? We talked about that last week. The zealots came together and killed him for his pro-Roman sympathies and his greed. And yet Christ organizes and orchestrates this. Um, I mean, think, think about all the elements there. you got Paul's citizenship as a Roman. You've got uh, the, the, the Tribune, the 40 guys, the hearts of the Sadducees who are willing to compromise and lie so that a man would be murdered. Paul's nephew happening to overhear, just happened to overhear this. Everything fell just right. It's an incredible providence of God here that, Paul, that Luke is describing for us, and it's providence for a purpose. So he sends him to Felix. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at verse 23. 
Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency the Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. <coughs> and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antip Antipatris. And the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with them. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. All right, so how does this tribune respond? How does he respond? What are the key elements here? First of all, what time are they doing the transfer? Third hour, which, Third which would be what? What do your notes say? 3 a.m. I think it's 9 p.m., isn't it? 9 p.m.? right. Yeah, they have a different calendar there, or a different time yeah. set up. So 9 p.m., what's going on then? Night or day? Night. It's nighttime. Why would you go at night? Sneaking them out. It's a cover. This is a covert operation. 200 people. With 200 people, <laughs> nobody will suspect a thing. Uh, so he takes them out with 200 soldiers, uh, 70 horsemen, and then another so 100 or so pikemen, which some have said is probably just the local police department that they sent him on with. What does that tell you about how serious... Lysias thought this threat was. I mean, you got 40 guys that are known, sort of. And he sends 250, 270, I can't remember the number is. He sends a lot of guys, much more than 40, for one prisoner. On cover of night. Now, he probably would have sent him to Felix eventually anyway, because, frankly, Paul outranked the Tribune. In, in social prominence. And the jurisdiction, he was charged with a capital charge by the Jews, and, and the governor is really the one who had jurisdiction over this kind of case, so he probably would have sent him there. But to send him now shows the urgency that Lysias felt about the situation. Uh, all right. Caesarea was the seat of government for the Judean province, and Paul was charged with a capital crime by the Jews, and only the procurator, or the governor, had the authority to preside over such a case. So he sends him at 9 p.m. There's urgency. Then he, then he does this, and it, this is common. This is, again, Luke is showing us something consistent with the period. He has to send a letter. 
when you appeal a thing, you got to give the guy who's taking the appeal a little bit of background of the facts of the case, right? So that's what that's what Lysias does here. And he does it, what he does is a very typical procedural thing in the letter. And we get a, we get a real sense of that from what Luke records. Do you notice anything interesting about how Lysias relates the facts? Anything stand out? Is what he's saying true? Yeah. Did he bring them before their council? He did. Okay. When he was arrested in the temple square, did Lysias have any idea who this guy was? How does he describe that situation to Felix, the governor? <laughs> when I learned he was a citizen, I rescued him. Really? You thought he was an Egyptian insurrectionist. What are you talking about when I learned he was a citizen? He, uh, let's just say he slants the facts a little bit to keep his own feet out of the fire. Because he ended up arresting... He, does he make any mention of the chains? No. Does he make any mention of stretching him out to be scourged? Nope. Because that's crime. Right? So he, he colors the facts here to, uh, to just kind of push aside his own violations of the law. Um, all right. And how does he describe the conflict between the Jews and Paul? What's, what's the basis that he has in, in, in mind? Their conflict. What does he say? Questions of their law. What do you think he means there? And how would he know? What do you think? What was Christianity considered at this time? Cult? Of, well, possibly, at least a sect. A branch of Judaism. A branch of Judaism. Okay. So the Romans see this as a dispute, an internal dispute, an internal religious dispute between the Jews and Paul. And that's really the issue um, throughout the rest of Acts, as far as the Romans are concerned. This is, a, this is a Jewish thing. It's a Jewish dispute. This has nothing to do with a violation of Roman law. And in fact, doesn't he say that? I found nothing worthy of death or imprisonment? That's a, that's a, that is the judgment. That is the assessment of the tribune that is now an appeal to Felix. Felix has to make that determination. And that's a re reoccurring theme. A Roman ruler never finds Paul to be guilty of anything deserving death throughout Acts. Does a letter give us what Lysias is doing procedurally to move the case along? What, is he, what does he say he told the Jews? And when do you think he told them? He's sending him in cover of night, and yet with this letter, he's saying, Oh, by the way, I did what? Ordered his accusers to state before you what they have against him. Right, so when would that have happened? Before Paul left or after? It's already in the letter. Um, it's interesting to me, the political dynamics here. All of this stuff is going on. All these, all these maneuver, all this maneuvering going on by Lysias in this letter to set himself up as uh, 
you know, doing, doing what he ought to do and protecting this Roman citizen against these crazy Jews and all this kind of stuff. And yet, um, it's moving the ball. He got it all in the right order the first time through. Yeah, he did. He's, he's pretty omniscient, this guy. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. Uh, so you see uh, in verse 31, you see the road trip. The first leg of this trip to Antipatris is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. It's about halfway. And Antipatris was a, a military station on the border between Judea and Samaria. Um, it's kind of a hike for foot soldiers to go that long. 35-mile hike. I've never been in the military, but that sounds like a long time for me. Uh, one mile is a little difficult, but, but 35 certainly a lot. Some have argued that verse 32 should be translated as happening earlier, and the foot troops returned to the barracks once they were you know, at a safe distance from Jerusalem. I mean, e either way, Paul's delivered to Felix, and that really is what matters to us. So who is Felix? Who is Felix? Claudius Felix was the procurator of Judea from 52 to 59 AD, and he plays a major role in the next chapter. So Luke introduces him here. History tells us that Felix benefited greatly by having connections to influential people, namely his brother Pallas. They were both uh, thought to be freed slaves from the imperial family. Remember we talked about the, the conditions for some slaves being freed, and these two guys uh, were, were thought to be freed. Um, to be in this high position as a former slave is a pretty incredible thing. And it was also viewed with some disdain in Roman circles. Tacitus writes about Felix and his history, and he says of Felix uh, that he wielded royal power with the instincts of a slave. So not, uh, not too fond of Felix as governor of Judea. And he was, I guess it's because nobody wanted the post, because his administration was marked by the rise of Jewish nationalism. He put down the insurgencies with brutal force, which of course makes people angrier and just escalates the matter. Um, <clears throat> he, was, uh, he was known to dispense justice arbitrarily and totally lacking understanding or sympathy for the Jews. And again, that helps heighten that anti-Roman sentiment among the Jews. Personally, Felix had three wives and all were princesses. He married well. Three times. Um, the first was a granddaughter of Antony and Cleopatra. I mean, this guy, for a slave, he, he had a good, good ride of it. Uh, the third was the daughter of Agrippa I, and we'll see Agrippa in chapter 24. He was ultimately an inept ruler who eventually was removed for total mismanagement of a dispute between the Jews and Gentiles in Caesarea. And Luke doesn't tell us any of that at this point. He deals with what are the facts before us, he just says the formalities, he was given to Felix, and he's highlighting the move was very much a protective play on the part of the Roman officials. And so Felix asks him about where he's from. Why do you think he does that? If he was from, I don't know, Ephesus, he might not have jurisdiction over him, right? He's the procurator of Judea. So he determines the jurisdiction over the matter, he places Paul under protective guard in the Praetorium, which was a former palace built by Herod the Great, serving as the Roman headquarters there. And that's where we find Paul. That's where we end up before chapter 24. Um, and there is this anticipation to the hearing before Felix where the Jews come up and accuse him, and Paul is able to testify before the governor of Judea. 
I find this absolutely fascinating. I know it's geeky history stuff. I find it fascinating. From this standpoint, what did Jesus say in verse 11 to Paul? What did he say? Take courage, for as you, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So you must. Doesn't mean, Paul, you've got to get to Rome somehow. <laughs> right? No. Take courage. This is all of me. I'm covering all of this. I'm doing all of this. I'm moving the pieces around. You just be faithful. You don't have to force a thing. Just be faithful. Christ will get Paul to Rome. Uh, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now therefore, verse 10, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Christ's government of all things is permanent, sovereign, and absolute. Christ is eternal. His reign is eternal. He doesn't need our permission to govern. He made us so He has an intrinsic right to rule over us. And as much as we chafe against this as Americans, Christ's government is an absolute monarchy in the truest sense of the word. What is it Spurgeon said? There's not a, there's not a molecule of ocean spray that isn't controlled by the, the divine, that is not orchestrated and administered by Christ on the throne. R.C. Sproul says this, The history of the Old Testament is the history of the reign of Yahweh over His people. The central motif of the New Testament is the realization on earth of the kingdom of God and the Messiah, whom God exalts to the right hand of authority and crowns as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the ultimate ruler, the one to whom we owe ultimate allegiance and ultimate obedience. And that should be a great comfort to us. Take courage, Jesus said. I'm looking at 50 in a few years. It's coming. And it's amazing to me to think about the fact that I will, I'm, I'm really close to, have, to being able to say I've lived half a century, which is weird. That is so weird. <laughs> but the older you get, the more you reflect on where you've been. And, it, and I was talking to Tammy the other day. It's, it's really interesting to me to look back and see events ideas, books that I may have read, or whatever that shifted things for me. And, and ultimately, that, that bring me here to where I am today. And I know that I chose things, and yet I look at them and I see the hand of God in all of them. I had no interest in law school. <laughs> had none of it. Didn't want it. I had no interest in, in the Bible. Didn't want it. I had no interest in, um, in certainly studying it and getting up in front of people talking about it. But in His sovereignty, He moved me here, 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 here. Um, and I, I, I say that not to... 
uh, hopefully as an encouragement to you, even now, look back and take comfort in the fact that what you're going through is shaping you. It's pushing you through to who, to, to, to reflect who Jesus is and what he's done for his people. There is no wasted moment in the Christian life. It all, I mean, there are things that I can clearly look at. There are probably thousands and thousands of things that happen that have no clue how he was shaping me. And yet he is. The frustrations, the tears, the sin I've had to repent of, the joys, the excitement that I see in other people following and loving Jesus and doing that and drives me to do more of that. All of those things have an effect on us of shaping us and drawing us closer to Jesus, either in repentance or in joy, sometimes both. Don't, don't ever feel like I'm just stuck in a holding pattern. It's all shaping us. It's all moving toward glorifying Jesus who reigns eternally, who is absolute, and who is our sovereign, our king. And that's, that's something to be very comforted by. What did Handel say? And he shall reign forever and ever. And then we'll end on Hallelujah. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. Anyway, any comments? Any, any questions? It's, uh, we, have, we have a few minutes. Unless you're playing today, then you... Was Luke with Paul along this journey? I mean, like, the I, letter is really specific. So yeah. Was he with him, or, did, or do we think that Paul probably just, you know, told it to him later? I mean... Well, a letter is an, is, to a governor that way, on a, on a, on a case, is a public document. Oh. So Luke, being a, a good historian, probably got a copy of it and looked at it. Um, some of it is he was told he gathered information from witnesses the nephew for example mm -hmm. what did you tell him when did you know what, you know, that kind of stuff so there's some of that that's going on he's, he's in an investigation but a, a lot of stuff is public record you're going to see uh, the, the testimony that he had before the council was public record and witnesses were there of uh, the Pharisees who later came to faith probably that Paul that Luke you know, would talk to what happened in the, in the council, or he may have attended the council, I don't know. But when, one way or the other, either through his personal experience or through investigating, which is what good historians do, he was able to gather the record for us. You know, the first Peter comes to mind, you know, in, in the service where I think we had studied where Peter says, don't suffer for sin mm -hmm. that's you you're you're do that yeah but you know to suffer for christ is you know hold yourselves to a higher standard and be blameless and so right. I just, it just i can't help but think of that when i think of paul you know how he's suffering for the gospel and but he's doing it he's not and he's, he's not tempted to to be bitter or mm -hmm. You know, he has a great reputation among the guards. I mean, right. I can't help but think that not only did he want, did the commander guy want to keep him safe just to keep the peace, but I feel like he respected Paul too. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, I think that's you're a right. Great witness that Paul was suffering with a great attitude, knowing yeah. that Jesus had a better plan for him. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, and I also think of 
earlier in Acts when when it said that I think Peter and John they 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 count they thought it was they thought themselves kind of lucky to 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 suffer for Christ. Mm -hmm. It's like I can't even fathom that. Yeah, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to yeah. suffer. Is what yeah, is so what Luke says. Just, yeah, these guys. Don't yeah, greatly. And, and I get mad when the cable goes out. You know, I, <laughs> right, what are you right. doing? It's where we are. <laughs> You're right. It, it's a it's a different mindset when when you just drink in the idea and live and, and, and really try to. I mean, obviously, we all fail at this, but but have the mindset that there's purpose and providence. The hard things that happen, the things that rip us apart inside, there's purpose in in those things to shape us to. to to break us down and build us up, build us up as the prophets used to talk about in the Old Testament, and and you see that with with Paul, he'd been, I mean, just beaten, whipped, all this kind of stuff before, and so there we think, oh, I've done that before, I can you know do it again. No, well, that, no, you remember, you're still doing the you know PTSD thing of the what, what's going on before, and yet he's willing to do it. He's willing to put himself in a place knowing that he's probably going to suffer more pain, suffer, you know, being imprisoned and all of that. Um, are we there? I'm not there. No, we don't handle colds that well. So, and, I, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to give credence to the fact that men don't handle sickness as well as women. That is not, that's a falsity. People, some people don't handle sickness as well as others. Just make it neutral. All right. Any anything else? Anything else? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you're on the throne. And that of the increase of your government, there will be no end. We sit and bask in the beauty of knowing that you uphold all things by the word of your power. And that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you by your Father. And we can trust you. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts to give us a boldness and a confidence in the supremacy of your reign over all things when our senses betray us, when they hide that blazing fact across the universe that Christ sits on the throne. So as we go into the next service, I pray that you would do a little bit more of that, that you would embolden our hearts Display for us again your beauty such that the drive and the desire of all other things pales in comparison to knowing you. We love you and we thank you for this great truth in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.